we're just encouraged to constantly distract ourselves from the reality of what is and that really that essence of that we are enough like this this moment is enough right which some of us in the past 15 months really people had to confront in a really radical scary kind of way Welcome to Meditationable, the show where you'll hear stories of experts in the fields of meditation, well-being, and more. This is your host, Anto. Today on the show, mindfulness-based stress reduction instructor and associate director for religious life and chapel music at Northwestern University, Eric Budzinski. I'm so excited to talk to you today and that you're going to be part of this episode. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Anto. Um, so first of all, why don't you introduce yourself to the world and tell us a little bit about what you do. For sure. So my name is Eric Budzinski, um, he, him pronouns, and my... Uh, <laughs> It's funny to think about what what I do versus what I am. I'm always trying to like wrestle with that as part of my own spiritual development. So I do have a title because that's just the nature of work. And so um, I work at Northwestern University for religious and spiritual life. And my official title there is a long one. It's Associate Director for Religious Life and Chapel Music. Um, so that's what I do. Amazing. And... Could you tell me about the first time you ever meditated? For sure. And so um, maybe I shared this story with you a little bit before when we first met, but um, my meditation journey actually sort of started outside of myself in the sense that we were actually, when I've been at Northwestern for over a decade now, and we were... um, tasked with working on projects, bringing uh, programs and developing curriculums to help foster a sense of spiritual wellness for students, um, especially students that didn't identify with a specific religious or faith or belief tradition, um, which is, you know, depends on years, but usually around 50% of our students, our incoming students at Northwestern, don't report to us that they identify with a specific religious tradition. Um, that being said, I believe really strongly that everyone has a spiritual life, regardless if you have been raised in a, a specific tradition or not. So we were tasked with coming up with different ideas about programming. And I somehow like through a series, it's like a complicated story, so I'll make it a little bit short, but um, a complicated series of Google searching and research that like... Honestly, the word that I was looking up was the word equanimity, okay? So there's this idea that someone that leads a spiritual life has this sense of equipoise or equanimity, that they have a measured response to life, that they aren't controlled by their own sort of physiological or psychological reactions to the stress in their life, but that people that espouse religious or spiritual traditions can respond to what life throws at you, right? So this word equanimity or equipoise, so I kept researching, like, how does one cultivate that? Like, where do you find the tools to do this? And I stumbled specifically in the work of John Kabat-Zinn, which is the curriculum called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction that's been around since the late 70s. John is really like the pioneer in the Western world of bringing mindfulness and meditation like kind of on a secular level um, for folks. 
Um, so I really sort of naively, there was, there, there was an intro to mindfulness-based stress reduction course that was offered in a Buddhist center, like up on a mountain in Colorado. And I naively like signed up just to go and like find out what it was. And I really thought like, this is something that I was going to learn about and that I would like bring to students and like teach them. But I didn't have any touch points myself at all. And there's a huge book that John Kabat-Zinn wrote about this program. It's called Full Catastrophe Living the book is like a brick it's like a giant like you could use it as a doorstop um it's a really amazing book actually even for its hefted size and weight but i remember like we're supposed to read the book in preparation for the program and i totally didn't and like on the plane i thought i was going to read like the 600 page book like by the time i got to colorado um and i opened up the book and started to read it <laughs> And literally, this is how naive I was. I was like, this is about meditation. Like, why, what does this have to do with mindfulness-based stress reduction? <laughs> and so this is long enough ago at a time where um, you didn't see mindfulness everywhere that you turned or just wasn't in sort of the cultural sort of ethos. Uh, so I went to that workshop. It was like an extended kind of retreat situation, like a four-day, three, four-day retreat up on this mountain in Colorado. I remember I had to like rent a car, drive up. My GPS went out halfway up the mountain had no clue where I was what I was doing um, but I remember being guided in meditation by that teacher her name was Janet and that the sense that I experienced in the meditation like um, the sense of being outside of myself the sense of finding my own inner resource and wisdom and resilience. And I remember very specifically, Anto, like sitting in meditation, like as difficult as it was, like sitting cross-legged on the floor for extended periods, being in silence for multiple days. Um, that was all kind of a newer thing to me. Uh, but the way I like to describe it in that moment, there was just this one moment during that weekend that I felt like, like the sequoia tree. Like I had that much, my like being was no longer contained with just the physical limits and constraints of who, what I look like, or who I think I am when I look in the mirror, what others do. And that was the first time in my life that I had that sense of myself, specifically that I had my own agency to make change and transformation in my own life. I didn't need to depend on anyone or anything else, but myself to make that change. And so it was one of those, you know, people talk about mountaintop experiences in life, right? And a lot of religious traditions have some story literally of like going up a mountain, you know, like Moses getting the Ten Commandments. I was raised in a Christian tradition. Um, and, but you have to come back down from the mountain, right? You have to like deliver the news to the people. So I was really excited to drive back down that mountain with the GPS, with the map where I started where I was going this time and come back to Northwestern and bring this newfound passion that I had around meditation. Um, just with the said specifically, Anto, of like, if I had this in my life when I was 18 or 20 years old, like what a different path. I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now, but so so good, all good things come when they <laughs> need to come um, in due time. But that's kind of my, my little story about how I discovered meditation. So coming up of that, how would you in your own terms define meditation? Hmm. Well, that's a good question, Anto. 
I mean, <laughs> I have to remove myself. I know my sort of technical definitions around meditation and mindfulness. Um, specifically, there are, I don't know if I have, uh, I have the definition, but the, the sense of it is a few different pieces. One of those is about intentionality. Um, creating a very specific space and a way of being um, is often removing ourselves or setting aside a specific time or task or where we are in life to be with ourselves in a really radical way, right? So that intentionality. And I know as we've talked a lot about that, you know, meditation, like you just said to me recently, is a very subjective experience. And I agree with that. Um, so it's the sense of creating an intention and awareness about this moment in time, a particular moment. And that sense of, of time being a really important component as well, right? That, you know, most of our lives are our sort of rumination, our internal uh, workings are spent <clears throat> mostly in the past or in the future, right? That we don't really spend much time in the present. And so meditation actually asks us to make this radical encounter with the really the only moment you can live in, which is this moment of now, right now. So meditation, just the sense of intentionality of being specific around um, the time of it being in the present moment, um, a sense of, being able to, there's a practice or a technique, if we will, if we want to use those terms, there's a tools or a technology involved of, of cultivating attention as part of the meditation practice that we are bringing ourselves and our attention back to that present moment in whatever we're doing in this conversation right now and listening to you uh, in uh, emptying the dishwasher is one of my favorite activities probably of like meditation of like something that's just kind of the humdrum the boring parts of life can actually really have a lot of life and richness infused in them of just emptying the dishwasher or taking a shower or walking the dog uh, or whatever it might be definitely and i also feel like we live nowadays in such a quick fix culture in which everything we need is is easy to get so whenever we have to sit with ourselves and just face, just be completely alone and face our true selves and have no distractions. We don't know who we are. Like the other day we were talking about this uh, microwavable barbecue chicken. <laughs> it's so easy to just um, put it in the microwave for two minutes and then you have a full meal for yourself. We're so used to that culture of getting things really easily, but by doing that we lose the whole aspect of the process of actually putting the ingredients together spending some time connecting with the actual food we are preparing and and putting intention and and just um being present with what we do so we're constantly being distracted and have a billion things in our mind and we just we have to retrain our our brains and our our, our minds to just be present and be more of like human beings instead of human doings you know because we're constantly doing and doing and doing so uh, i definitely agree exactly in the sense of like one of the 
if we had to talk about benefits, I'm making air quotes here because I don't talk about benefits of meditation because, again, meditation is a subjective experience and your benefits are subjective. No matter how many research papers say you get lowered blood pressure or higher test scores as, as a result of meditation, I don't talk about those things. Um, but one of the benefits, I might say, I call them the gifts of meditation, Uncle E's gifts of meditation. And one of them is a deep sense of interconnectedness. So when you're talking about that, Mike, microwave chicken, we become so disconnected, right, is kind of the opposite of interconnected, that we have no, we don't even like take the time, right, like you're saying, prepping the food, but even like, where did this food come from, right, who prepared this food, um, who sold this food to me, who packaged this food, who drove the truck to get to the, the chicken to the Trader Joe's, like that sense of interconnectedness, that those layers of depth, that when we're constantly bombarded with distractions, even the sense of, I tell people all the time, like just one thing less maybe in your life might help. So while you're cooking your microwave chicken, even if you're doing that, there is some application of meditation and awareness that we can bring to that. But maybe we, if we always have headphones on when we're doing that or like kind of half watching some Netflix show while we're preparing our meals, like why don't we take one of those barriers off so that we can actually maybe consider the microwave chicken and the sense of being connected to this is going to be inside our body in moments, right? <laughs> um, so it would be wise to spend depth with that. But that's a scary thing, right? It's a really radical and scary thing to spend any time with anything in our life, whether it's barbecue chicken or with our own sense of fear, anxiety, loss, stress, depression, happiness, whatever it is, fill in the blank of ourselves. And so that's a barrier too for folks as well. Um, but it can be rich, right, when we spend the time to do that, of making those considerations of there's a, a layers of depth to everything in front of it. There's no such thing as there's no such thing as boredom. There's no such thing as just mundane. That's not possible because it's all a miracle. Our entire life, everything around us is a miracle to be explored. Med meditation, one of the gifts of it, it has no um, it has no goals. There's no right or way, right or wrong way to do it. And there's no grading at the end of it. There's no such thing as a bad meditation. It just is a meditation, whatever happens in that period. But if there were a goal, if I had a name on, it would be compassion, a deep abiding sense of compassion specifically for yourself and in turn for others. And so when we try to apply the mindfulness meditation lens to like just about anything, like if it's mindful, I mean, let's just kind of be ridiculous here, like uh, mindful vacuuming, okay? Like the question there is, am I, where is the wisdom and compassion involved in this? How am I developing that in vacuuming? Well, maybe I've gone to my elderly neighbor's house to clean for them because they're unable to and I'm vacuuming their house. I could see that being tied into compassion, right, as well. Or maybe it is out of self-care that for myself, I'm keeping a clean home environment for myself and my family. But there still has to be that mark of intention around that, of how I'm doing that, why I'm doing that. And how is that ultimately leading me to connect to myself? And then even bigger than that, my connection to others, to all beings in the world. So those are kind of always the parameters that I have to ask myself and even my own drawing into meditation practice. Like I meet a lot of students actually that they will say, well, I've, I've heard that meditation can improve my test scores, right? Improve my focus and studying. I'm like, well, yeah, we 
could do that, but there's other benefits that are probably more important or the sense that like these, just like a focus or attentional um, training can be used for bad things in the world, right? We could train people to train people to be better criminals, right? Be better pickpockets using mindfulness techniques. Well, we don't want that either. So the sense of where wisdom and compassion are factors and components and why, what is drawing us to this? And what do we really, a sense of what do we want to get from this and then to give back to the world or the questions we just always need to ask ourselves in coming to these practices. Definitely. And I also think that stems from the idea that we constantly have to be achieving or doing something or everything that we do needs to serve a purpose and everything that we do needs to be able to be um, on our resume, for example. So we're just constantly trying to be overachievers and not necessarily stepping back and and wondering and asking ourselves whether this is what we truly want or whether what we truly need. And with this culture of like trying to constantly exceed ourselves, which is important, um, but it but it also brings up the idea that we have a lot of things to fix, and that we um, and this is something that I study psychology. I'm not a psychologist. But I feel something that I always question is this idea that we have to fix ourselves or that we need to heal or that there's something that we're broken and that we need someone or something to to save us, for example. So I feel like personally for me, meditation has been an incredible tool that that has helped me realize how... um, we don't necessarily need to fix anything about ourselves. Yes, um, there's always room for growth, but just this idea we all have ingrained in our heads that we need to heal, we need to fix, um, when in reality, all we have to do is accept. And when we accept, we, we enter a space of acceptance. And within that acceptance, there's room and comfort for growth and for change so it's like the equation is the other way around it's not like i'm gonna change so that i can accept myself but rather um i'm gonna accept myself and when i do um that like self-love and self-compassion will bring room for change so i think that's a, a mindset that i sometimes have and and i know it's like a really common mindset shared by by young adults like and well a lot of people but from what I've heard that like we just constantly are like oh I have to do this and this and fix this and and meditation is just such a powerful way to realize no sometimes we just have to be present and and be where we are and and experience life as it is exactly really beautifully put Anto it's a sense of in that world of compassion that I'm talking to as well, I mean, one of the the callings that I might have as a medita- meditation teacher is to help people realize that sense of suffering and stress. I would name that as suffering, this desire to be more than you already are. There's a time and place for that. And it's not like saying, like, right, just roll over in bed, like, don't bother to go to school, don't get a job. Like, it's not quite as simple as that, because we we can find meaning and purpose in life. Um, 
but there is so much suffering around us and to recognize and actually to be gracious with folks that everywhere you turn in a world of capitalism right that's how capitalism works it's telling you you're not enough right that you need a better shampoo right it's like you can't even like on that level of life your shampoo is never good enough imagine how that poor bottle of shampoo feels <laughs> it's always there's always a new improved formula of that shampoo right um and so everything around us tells us that right and when we look through social media when we look at pictures of the kardashians or whomever it is that are filtered and there's a full hair and makeup team and then i take the selfie of myself and right it's like frightening you're like i know this isn't me but that's the reality whatever but right so we have this we're combating all of that all the time um, the sense of that we're just not enough, right? And that's, again, like Uncle E's gifts of meditation, it's that sense of enoughness, that no matter what, you're 100% and whole. These aren't things, and people get sort of mixed up and confused and kind of put off by meditation because they have to confront and accept and hold everything that is and be able to say to themselves, this is enough. Um, while they're getting all these messages all the time that they're actually not enough um, through cultural um, or just the sense of the time that we're in right now. Um, and just the sense of finding stillness, right? Like the, the gifts of stillness and spaciousness not being distracted. I mean, like it would be a really funny exercise for you just to mark how many times like you move, change your posture, like touch something different, change, you know, look at a website, go walk across your kitchen floor, go outside, like mark all those transitions all day. Most of those are just to distract yourself. Like your body becomes discomforted and you don't even realize it. And you're just constantly shifting, kind of kind of treat trying to recalibrate yourself to make yourself comfort finding this level of comfort which we actually can achieve and have like in a meditation practice but we're just encouraged to constantly distract ourselves from the reality of what is and that really that essence of that we are enough like this this moment is enough right which some of us in the past 15 months really people had to confront in a really radical, scary kind of way to even realize that maybe some situations that they were in weren't enough, right? This wasn't enough. Or the sense of like, I don't know who I am without going out to a restaurant, or I don't know who I am without commuting to work or school every day, right? These questions of like who I really am were really scary for people in the past 15 months. And some people have really thrived and some people didn't do so well in that period. So it's really interesting even the past, you know, the COVID period to look at is like we were all kind of on an extended retreat, a meditation retreat, forced <laughs> meditation retreat, and like the discoveries uh, we we can take from that, and we can see now there's like two camps, right? There's a, there's some people that just want to jump back in full force, everything, the volume turned all the way up, the dials turned all the way up back again, and I think there's some people as well that have realized like, well, I didn't need all of that, I was I was fine, I was content without all. Of of that so again that meditation allows us that window into what is enough definitely and it is so hard because it takes so much courage to just sit with yourself and and ask yourself the tough questions it's so much easier to be constantly distracted and and doing stuff um but when it comes to just being with yourself i feel like 
that's a reason why so many people our age feel like they need more, they need something more. It's because they just don't feel that connection with themselves. And it has happened to me as well. And it's so hard to just recognize that maybe the reason why I feel so lonely, it's because I don't know how to sit in solitude. Um, so I think it's it's really courageous and it's a challenge, a real challenge. And I really admire people that during quarantine had the courage to sit down and, and think and and not necessarily distract themselves all the time because it takes um, a lot of effort and it's not easy. Yeah, we say like simple but not easy, right? Just like sit down and be quiet. That sounds really simple, but then it's not so easy. And we're also conditioned, all of us, like if it can't be downloaded in an app form, I know I'm guilty of this too. Like uh, I hate calling to make appointments for things. Like if I have to get a haircut or a doctor's appointment, I cannot say, I don't know what, why it is, but I hate making appointments. So like I will only go to places like that I don't have to call. Like I can do an online thing or if like the restaurant's not on Grubhub, I'm not going to call and make the order. So that like we're conditioned, right? Literally conditioned for that level of convenience and unfortunately that's kind of stumbled into meditation and mindfulness right and we alluded to this a little bit before of like kind of one of the stumbling blocks people want like an immediate instant response right just kind of this add water and stir approach to meditation I mean, even in the program that I teach, the MBSR program, which is a pretty deep dive into meditation, it's only eight weeks long. I was, people, like after the first week, sometimes are like, well, my, <laughs> I don't have a better job or I don't have a better girlfriend. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, well, it's like one week. Like I don't, those are the expectations anyway. And even at the end of eight weeks, right, in a program like that, that's just eight weeks of your entire, of your life, right? Like the scope of your life. So that's just one little bit. So there's a sense of that, you know, specifically even in um, in traditional in the traditional writings of meditation from thousands of years ago, they use terms like cultivation. You'll hear me say that word a lot, and very specifically, they use that word our English equivalent cultivation is that's an agricultural term that means like farming right that's the exact word that's used and so I talk about planting seeds a lot too but sometimes it's not even planting seeds it's just like turning the soil over or like weeding things pulling out the rocks from a field right or for some people it's just like oh there's actually a field over there there's a possibility here so it takes time to do all of this which again like the culture doesn't allow time and space for that right we're very we're we're conditioned to be really impatient um, as humans and always chasing something else so this idea and that's what we know from the science though you know these two factors in meditation of consistency and duration consistency is more important than duration that we do this frequently like anything else in establishing a habit um, but then the duration that we give some time and depth to this as well those are really important and critical factors in really realizing the benefit i mean i i use um the metaphors of like physical fitness with folks all the time because I think it makes sense but you wouldn't just like expect to go to the gym like for 10 minutes once a week and like 
get your beach body already, right? That would be, you would never think that would happen. But some people like with meditation, they're like, well, I tried it for five minutes and like, I didn't get anything from it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you need to do it a little more consistently than that. Maybe five minutes every day. And then maybe six minutes every day is so, like ramp yourself up and see what the duration is in that. But just again, from like the science end of that, we know those are the conditions that allow for really physiological changes in the body. Like meditation has this power and ability to actually change the gray matter in your head. I'm not going to walk down the roads of neuroscience because I'm not anything but anything coming close to a neuroscientist, but just this idea that it builds new channels and grooves in your brain for increased learning, decreased reactivity to stressful events, um, uh, less of an emotional heightened system. Um, we know that's true, but that's only through consistency and duration and practice. I'm going to ask something a little different now. Do you have any words of wisdom for young adults regarding acceptance and, and just learning how to slow down and not being so harsh with ourselves? Yeah, so there is um, a piece of wisdom that I always share at the end of meditation sessions or the classes that I teach in meditation. And it's uh, from Khalil Gibran. Um, and someone once asked Khalil to sum up his entire writings. And he said in his summary of them that they were about that you are far greater than you know. And that's really been inspirational to me and what keeps me grounded in these practices. I mean, my life is far removed from that of a college undergraduate. I'm probably more than twice the age of most of the students at Northwestern. Um, but that's what draws me and keeps me in this work and bringing the work to that community is that, that sense of limitlessness, of possibility that our lives are um, really mired in a perception of ourselves that like we can't really even see ourselves clearly like to look into a mirror right even like from a scientific standpoint we never actually see our own reflection we have an inaccurate sense right when we look at a picture of ourselves we're like that's not what we see in the mirror when you hear your voice recorded because we actually don't have accurate perception of ourselves and so these practices really invite this deep sense of self-knowing that willingness actually then to see ourselves in others, that it dissolves these barriers and these walls that we've all built around us because we've all had difficulty, we've had trauma, we've had anxiety, we've had stress, we've failed, right? So walls get built around that. Meditation allows us or invites us to accept take down a few of those bricks one at a time. I love that too. If I had to give like really specific advice, I talked about that a little bit before is like the one thing less meant like kind of a mantra for yourself. One thing less. I think I say it to myself all the time. Like, do I need to be watching um, Netflix and scrolling on my phone and petting the cat and eating a piece of pizza? <laughs> Like, could I just do one less thing? So I think sometimes people think these practices are like jumping in the deep end. There's a time and place for that. And some people are called to that. Um, some people make that their life's work like I do, or, you know, somebody like you, Anto, that in, in, aspires to change the world with, with these practices. So it's <laughs> not meant for everybody. 
So there are small ways that we can engage in this. One thing less, put the phone down, turn the TV off, just pet the cat. Let even the natural world <laughs> be your guide and reminder and signpost. Just look out the window that of the flowers, I'm the daylilies that I'm looking at across the street from me are a reminder to stop, right? What, it's a miracle that the life around us, every little bit of it is a miracle. So, so stop, be arrested by that. And don't forget in all of that, that you are far greater than you know. That is so beautiful. Eric, thank you so much for that wisdom. And I, I agree. I feel like we're constantly asking ourselves, what can I add to my life? What can I add? And maybe the real question is, what can I subtract? Um, how can I make my life a little simpler? Um, in this world full of chaos and overwhelmingness. Um, and also the idea that we're all doing our best um, and we're always doing our best with a level of understanding and, and consciousness that we have. I feel like a lot of us are constantly telling ourselves like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. and Or like, I was so naive. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves that we were doing our best. We're always trying our best with what we think that's best for us in that moment. So we need to be a little more forgiving with ourselves. And well, the past and is gone too, right? And so I can't do anything about the past. I can only correct something or make amends for something in the present moment. And even that act in meditation, I have a lot of students that understand, you know, talk in a concept of forgiveness. Um, we'll talk about meditation practice as actually being an act of forgiveness, that act of, you know, the attentional practice of you focus your mind on the breath. And when the your focus goes away, you just pull it back. And so I love when people describe that as an act of forgiveness for yourself, because it's about that as the quality. If I were like, oh, God damn it, I screwed up again. I got to breathe, breathe. Like that's not a healthy meditation practice at all. But just to be like, oh, okay, I was thinking about, you know, getting an ice cream sundae later today, which I am specifically <laughs> right now. But I can just bring that back and it's no big deal. This is just part of being human. My, my mind wanders, my attention wanders. So it's a gracious uh, act of forgiveness just to constantly bring things back, right? No matter what happens, you have this place to return to. So these practices as an act of forgiveness are a really beautiful way to think about it. Right, people think they're always, people are never really sure, and maybe I think all of us that are meditators, like we're never really sure if you're doing this right. I'm doing air quotes again. But there's no such thing, actually. Like, it's the one thing in your life that you can't screw up, actually. You only can screw it up by not doing it, <laughs> I guess. But just by the sheer intention of doing it, you've done it, and you've benefited from it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Meditationable. For more wisdom, visit at Meditationable on Instagram.